on Stick to Football. We continue our previews. It's AFC North time. We'll see how long my voice holds out. If you are a daily listener of Stick to Football, you know it's that time of year where I get a head cold and my throat stops working. Uh, one time, actually, at the Combine, this happened, and our lovely producer, Whiskey Dan, told me to go get a shot in the throat, like a steroid shot in the throat. That's how much I love you guys. I was prepared to do that. Thankfully, tequila also works. <laughs> it loosened everything up. Not doing that yet today, but we'll see where the show goes. We'll just have to make you some hot toddies here in the office, Matt, to, you know, just to get you through the show, and I'll have a couple in support. A hot toddy would do it right now, to be honest. Connor, do you guys, is that a thing in the Northeast? Do you know what we're talking about? I do know what you're okay. talking about. Because I remember the last time <laughs> uh, my throat was bothering me and I was doing a show. Somebody said that to me. They're like, oh, just make a hot toddy. And I was like, yeah, I'd love to, but I have a couple hours left to work here. Honey, but, yeah, absolutely. Lemon, bourbon, and some water. You're done. Throw it in a microwave. And you you're ma- done. You make it real, obviously, very, very hot, like a tea. Yep. and it's Correct? Yeah. Yeah. And it's... It does the trick. Now I want one really badly. So it's good for the pipes. It, it really gets, is. It gets everything warmed up. Might need to do like one a day, you know, like Mondays, Thursdays <laughs> when we record hot toddy time. Well, we need to start working on like a hot toddy sponsor. <laughs> right. Uh, can I get one of those at a bar? Can I walk into a bar and order a hot toddy? You can in Joplin, Missouri, I'm sure. Very true. All right. We got a, a little bit of news to get through to start the show with you guys today. Uh, and let's start here. Leonard Fournette was released and now he has signed. He did clear waivers. But still gets his money back, honestly. One year, $3.5 million deal with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I, I saw, I think it was BR Gridiron tweeted this, that Eric Ebron said it. That they're the Golden State Buccaneers. Like, everybody wants to go play with Tom Brady, just like everyone wanted to go play with Steph Curry. And, I mean, I, I agree. If I'm a free agent right now, I'm looking at Tampa, no state income tax, weather's not bad. If you're into the strip club scene, there are at least a lot of those. And you are on water. I think it's toxic and you can't touch it, but you're on water. And you have Tom Brady and Bruce Arians. And there are a couple teams that are always going to be like, those are destinations for free agents. Right now, Tampa is one of those. Yeah. And shout out to our other producer, Tampa Dan. Tampa Dan. Uh, I, I think yeah. that Tampa's Tampa a, Tarantula. <laughs> I think Tampa's a great spot with Brady. I think the difference between... Uh, Tampa Bay and other teams is they had the cap space to bring in some of these guys. I, I think that if we're going to say uh, somebody is the Golden State type football team, that title probably belongs to the Chiefs or the Ravens. I, I think ideally, like if you could go play anywhere right now, it would be one of those two teams. But Tampa Bay has some salary cap space, so they can afford to bring in a guy like Fournette and Ravens and Chiefs were both loaded at running back. They they didn't need to bring this guy in. But so also, I, I don't like the Golden State Buccaneers title. To me, if we're going to keep the basketball analogy going, the AFC is the West. Oh, for sure. The NFC is the East. You don't want to be in the AFC because you have to deal with Mahomes, Lamar Jackson. Like Those are some good teams. Oh, a gauntlet. You want to go to the NFC These so are the, bad. The Cleveland Buccaneers. Like This right? is LeBron-era Cleveland where it's like, oh, don't want to go over there and compete. I'm going to join LeBron. He'll at least get me to a title game. Right. You are Kevin Love. Congratulations. Uh, you can tell I've been watching more basketball if I can rip off those analogies. So on the surface, this fit is a little weird because I think when we when you think of Bruce Arians, you think of David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell. Um, you go back to, I mean, the Colts never really had like a dude when he was there with Andrew yeah. Luck. But um, you'd think of these like dynamic pass catching running backs. And Fournette did catch 76 passes last year. But this is a north-south what I would call an eye back, you know, like an old school throwback. Oh, yeah. You're lined up behind the quarterback, get north south quickly, run some people over. 
Bruce Arians, to my knowledge, has not really had a guy like that. Um, although Pittsburgh did have, you know, they were still a little bit between the tackles. So I, I think the fit is a little weird on paper. But you also have LaShawn McCoy there, who we kind of saw washed up last year. You have Ronald Jones there, who's never really made an impact on the field, even though he was a player I liked a lot coming out of USC. And they drafted Keyshawn Vaughn. Now, rookies are going to be a little bit limited because of no preseason, a smaller ramp-up period. I think there's a great chance, like fantasy football players, I think there's a great chance Fournette comes in here and is the dude for this offense. I wouldn't be surprised if Ronald Jones is cut or traded. And that's what I was thinking, too. And with Fournette and fantasy implications, I would hold on to him if I drafted him, see what it's like in Tampa. Uh, I know that earlier in the week, uh, we had some buddies even asking us, like, what should I do with him? Should I cut him? Should I trade him? He landed in a good spot. I do think that he can catch the ball out of the backfield in Tampa Bay, maybe not to the clip of 76 like he did last year. I think there were just a lot of, not a lot of targets in Jacksonville. And I think that there was a lot of Gardner Minshew kind of let me find Leonard Fournette catches. Now, one thing that Leonard Fournette does struggle to do is pass protection. I wonder how that's going to play. Uh, if they ask him to do that at all, it's going to be tricky, but a good landing spot for him. Uh, and as far as Ronald Jones goes, I don't think you're cutting Keyshawn Vaughn. He's a rookie on a cheap deal. You're going to want to keep him around. Uh, I think it comes down to, is it going to be Ronald Jones or is it going to be LaShawn McCoy? Uh, and I didn't love what I saw out of LaShawn McCoy last year. Yeah, it feels like he's kind of been done for a little bit now. And this signing shows that, you know, you, you got to beware. I know I've had this conversation with a lot of friends doing fantasy drafts. You know, I think there's been a lot of hype with Ronald Jones going into this year after, I mean, let's call it what it is, probably a somewhat disappointing start, right? In 2018, uh, he really was a non-factor. Last year, he did start to flash, and things started to go in the right direction. But then there was a lot of hype that year three, he's going to be this three-down back. Fournette definitely now eats into that. I mean, they didn't go out and sign Leonard Fournette to not play him. So it definitely eats into Ronald Jones's workload. Now, the good about it is Leonard Fournette has never played in an offense that looks like this, right? He doesn't have a Mike Evans and Chris Godwin on the outside where, you know, teams have to dedicate more players in coverage because, you know, Tom Brady, sure, he's not Tom Brady of 2010 or whatever you want to call it, but he's still Tom Brady. They still have arguably the best wide receiver duo in football or one of the best. You know, they have threats at tight end. So for Fournette, you might not see as many stacked boxes. You might not be keyed in on. I mean, when teams play Jacksonville and you saw the workload Fournette was getting, you can load up against him. So I know Twitter hates Leonard Fournette. I know everybody is down on Leonard Fournette. Everybody hates running backs. I get it. It's it's as mellow. What do you say? Feet, feet a fed horse. <laughs> now yeah. we can't yeah. say the other thing. <laughs> exactly. It, it's. It's really just, I'm kind of tired of it, to be honest with you. I get it. The guy shouldn't have been a top 10 pick. I get it. He's not a top five running back in the NFL. But if you can't look at this move and go, man, this is probably a good opportunity for Leonard Fournette. This probably gets him to the second level of the field where he's most dangerous much more often, then I don't know what to tell you. So I like the move. Uh, I don't think it really moves the needle where you go, oh my God, the Bucks do it again. 
But to say the guy won't make an impact, I think he definitely will in this offense. And I think here's the thing. like You're right. Twitter hates running backs. And and I was one of those guys. I loved Fournette coming out of college, and he had such a good rookie year. It was like, oh, man, like look at Fournette, Zeke, the way Gurley was playing. It's like there are some top 10 running backs who are worth that pick. Now, two of those guys did not live up to the longevity of the position. That happens. I think you can look at you know Zeke. You can look at Christian McCaffrey and be like, you can find some value at running back. So you can hate drafting a running back in the first round. But you still need one. Like, you still need a running back. And 43-year-old Tom Brady needs a running back. He still needs a run game. And I think we saw, you know, some of his best years in New England were with Corey Dillon. And some of his, you know, the Super Bowl where James White caught like 18 passes. Brady's always going to want to check that down. I'm actually reading this book called The Dynasty. And it's it's really good because it talks about a lot of things with the early Patriots that I either didn't remember because I was like, 17 years old or never knew and it talks about how important the running back was even like Brady's first year as a starter like he loves to throw to the running back and I think it was J.R. Redmond back in the day it's like whomever is back there Keyshawn Vaughn Shady Fournette like they're gonna have to get involved so I like the signing I'm not you know quite ready to say the Bucks are gonna win a Super Bowl but I think they're gonna be a lot of fun to watch like when we map out our week one viewing schedule they're probably going to be on they, one of the must watch. Yeah. must watch <laughs> they're, they're don't they open up with the saints yeah i mean that's a must watch game yeah no i'm definitely definitely and, watching that and game. i think one thing with like the i hate twitter trends sometimes because it just feels like everybody jumps on the same take. echo chamber i and i i hate it so much it's not like they're paying for net the dude's making like under four million dollars this year so you can say like oh i hate running backs don't pay them okay they are not they paying pay him, him. <laughs> uh, this is a very cheap running back so uh i think it's a great move yeah i like it speaking of bad moves though last year as their wide receiver core fell apart the new england patriots made a trade for muhammad sanu Second round pick for Mohamed Sanu, who like he played at Rutgers, and it's like, oh, look at Belichick. He's stealing another guy. And Sanu actually had a pretty good game his first week with the Patriots. After that, he completely sucked. And now he is being released after being traded for. And I get so much hate when I say this, but one of my go-to sayings is build the coach, saves build the GM. A lot, guys. This is another move where even when it happened, you're like, a second round pick for Muhammad Sanu? Exactly. Hey, we're seeing really good receivers get traded for far less than that. Whether it was bringing in Antonio Brown, bringing in Muhammad Sanu, Belichick has a weakness at wide receiver. Um, it, it, it's obvious. It goes back to, you know, I remember we've talked to Thomas Dimitrov about it. You know, Belichick telling you don't trade up for Julio, draft John Baldwin. How'd that work out? Not well. He has a hole at receiver. Which is why you should probably hire me, because that's like the only position I can scout very well. So, Bill, if you're listening, buddy, um, we would not get along, but I'm available to help. And I think going back to it, even like you said, when this trade happened, it's like, oh, my God, they gave up a second for Mohamed Sanu, the third receiver in Atlanta. A 30-year-old receiver. It it was questionable then, and then uh, obviously it's, it's bad. Now, I think he ended up playing eight games in New England or like six games, something like that, a short season. It was a terrible trade. It was a terrible trade at the time, and now it just looks like one of the most awful trades Belichick has ever done. If I'm Mohamed Sanu, I'm probably going back to Atlanta and being like, hey, guys, uh, get me on a discount deal. I had some good years here, but uh, just an awful trade. I, and I think you're right, Matt. Belichick, the coach, bails out Belichick, the GM, say. so many times. And, and there for a while, I felt like, 
every time the Patriots made a move, we were like, oh my God, Belichick did it again. But really, it was just his ability to coach and Tom Brady bailing them out on a lot of those moves. They were bad moves. They just had good players and a good team in place uh, that was coached very well to hide some of those bad trades. Well, this pick ultimately turned into J.K. Dobbins as well. Oh, because damn. Atlanta traded it for Hayden Hurst, and Baltimore used it on J.K. Dobbins. So, in hindsight, you know, that's that'll be talked about for a long time. It really, really will. I think J.K. Dobbins, and I think all of us on this show have said it for a while, I mean, maybe the best scheme fit draft pick in the entire draft last year you know, this guy is going to have 1,000-yard years, I think, for a pretty long time. Not this year, because the backfield still has is a little crowded, but that's that's bad dra- use of draft capital. It really is. And I, this isn't a harp on New England show, because I think we talk about a lot of good things with New England on this show. But the, it definitely is interesting to find a trend, a bad one, for a successful guy like Bill Belichick. Like, the wide receiver thing blows my mind. It made me look up all the wide receivers they've drafted in the last 10 years. The last guy to pan out that they drafted was Julian Edelman, a converted quarterback in the seventh round. That was 2009. You know, since then, though, they've taken Taylor Price, Aaron Dobson, like rounds three and two. These aren't like seventh round kind of picks. Malcolm Mitchell had the knee problems that a lot of teams knew about round four. You know, Nikhil Harry really needs to have a good year to kind of start to turn that narrative Tell me about around. it. <laughs> As do those yeah. rookie tight ends. You know, it's like it's weird when you look at New England, and I know we're not previewing them today. It's like, I- I've said this before, you're so programmed to think they're going to be good, but when you look at the roster, it's like, man, if they're good this year, it might be Belichick's best coaching job. They're just so well coached on on yep. every aspect of football. Special teams, um, you know, I think they'll coach up guys that they, they don't take in the first round, like Chase Winovich from last year yep. and players like it's really impressive. Even the offensive linemen they take outside of round one. It's that's why they win. It really is. It's, it's not because of the consistent drafting and premium selections. Last thing before we get to some college football picks and then our divisional preview today, Jamie Newman has opted out of Georgia. Now Jamie Newman played at wake forest last year. He was the guy throwing those 50, 50 balls to Sage Surratt transfers to Georgia and has now opted out and will not play in 2020 as he prepares for the 2021 draft. And as happens a lot, uh, or frequently, I was asked to consult on him a while back about, hey, where would you, where do you rank him now? Where would you rank him if he didn't play? Where do you think he can get if he plays? And what I said back to the person, and I wasn't trying to be disrespectful, was, is he going to start? Because if he's going to get beat out by JT Daniels, this is a different conversation. If he plays, I mean, obviously there's room for improvement, but I have him right now as like a mid-round quarterback who does have some traits that I liked and, oh, yeah, could maybe be developed a little bit. Uh, but he has decided to opt out, guys. And uh, yesterday, just talking to people, you know, I, I think I told Mello, like, hey, it sounds like this is going to happen. Started poking around a little bit more and was basically told that JT Daniels has won that job. And that I, and I don't I regret I don't have the quarterback's name in front of me, but they have a freshman that I guess they even like him a lot. So, like, if something happened to JT Daniels, there was a chance this freshman might get playing time over Jamie Newman. So. I think, you know, you never want to, these are kids, they're making the best decisions they can. He should have never gone to Georgia. Uh, I don't think he was ever a fit with that Monken offense. Uh, and now we're going to be relying on, you know, Wake Forest tape from 
a year ago to try to evaluate this player. Well, I think that's just it. I mean, uh, you look at Jamie Newman making the best decision that he can. The best decision that he could was not go sit at Georgia behind JT Daniels. And I do think that was going to be the case that Daniels had probably won this job. And then Jamie Newman looked at, oh, man, what should I do? Sitting at Georgia for a year was not going to help his draft status. And he shouldn't have left Wake Forest. That was a really good situation there in Wake Forest with a damn good receiver that I absolutely love. And I'm sure Jamie Newman would have very high praise for him as well because Sage Surratt bailed him out on a lot of plays. And he was able to throw that 50-50 ball. Uh, And like I said earlier, that 50-50 ball to Sage Surratt is more like a 75-20 ball. That dude is coming down with that thing. So I think that in hindsight, yeah, he should have stayed at Wake Forest, but now he's in this situation and it was go be the backup quarterback at Georgia or declare for the draft. And I think that's the right move. I think now you can get with a quarterback coach. You can start working on some different things that he needs to improve on. And that's the best way for him to improve his draft stock because I, I don't even have him as a top five quarterback in this class right now. I don't either. I, I just I think there are a lot of holes to his game and and he's got a lot of work to do. I think we wanted him to be quarterback four in this draft class, but it just hasn't happened yet. I wonder here, guys, if there was just some poor or lack of transparency with Georgia and him, right? Like, was he, you know, convinced to transfer there and they were like, hey, you're our guy. And then the opportunity arose with JT Daniels and it was like, okay, this is our guy now instead. I feel like that happens a lot in college oh, football. Does, yeah. I, I, you know, I don't know if that's what happened here, but I don't see why Jamie Newman would go there unless there were some false promises made. You know, he's not a dumb guy. He's not somebody that didn't want to, you know, go into a situation where he's not the guy. I think he thought he he understandably proved enough at Wake Forest where wherever he went would have to commit to him. So something is just up with this situation. But forget that. We have to talk about what's going to happen now, and that is Jamie Newman will prepare for the NFL draft and this is not an easy evaluation for anyone right now. I mean, sure, there are plenty of bright spots on the Wake Forest film, but without a doubt, Sage Surratt is also the brightest spot on those parts of the film. So I think for Newman, the concern with me ultimately is right now he's not a consistently accurate passer, and he's also going to be 23 when this draft process starts. He, You know, according to the, the World Wide Web, he turns 23 in December. <laughs> That's not old for a quarterback prospect. I believe Joe Burrow was, you know, 23 going into 24 last year. But it does matter. It really does. This isn't a 19 or 20-year-old quarterback where, you know, they're going to be given all of this time. So I think for Newman, you want to see him get more accurate. And I don't know, is the next opportunity we get to see him work on those things, work on those mechanics, and work on all of that at the Senior Bowl? Like, do we get one week of it this year? And I... That's a that's good. You can learn from that. It'll help. It's better than nothing. Right. But I I for me to sit here and tell you that Jamie Newman's going to be a top 50 pick right now, I would be lying. That's not the case. You know, right now I think because of his potential, maybe a team takes him in the 4th round. But, you know, this was somebody that all of us were excited and thought could really rise into top 50, top 40 with the way quarterbacks rise like Jordan Love did last year, top 30 was not out of reach. And not playing college football this year. It's not Jamie Newman's fault there was a pandemic. 
um, you know, and made this a little bit more of a roller coaster. But it's not a great outlook at this moment. It's like everyone wants to, you know, oh, the next Joe Burrow or the next, you know, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray. Those don't exist. Right. Yeah, those are outliers. And I think we got spoiled by those guys who are all unique in so many ways. And so with, you know, with Jamie Newman, it was like, I mean, it would have had to been a perfect storm for him to rise. And even back two, three months ago, I think it was like, oh, man, JT Daniels is going to win that job. And this wasn't planned. It's not on the rundown. When I look at QB4, I'm really starting to warm up to Kyle Trask. Oh, he's he's like solidified oh, my like, QB4. And yeah, I, he's the guy of QB4. I've been watching a lot of the opt-out guys because like, okay, I know I have to evaluate you. So I'm going to watch opt-out guys. But then, because every agent in America right now wants to know who QB4 is, so it's like, okay, I really need to give these people an answer. I need to work on this. And, like, Kyle Trask is my favorite outside of the big three to watch right now. Yeah, oh, I definitely mine too. I agree. And yesterday on our Mic'd Up website, I put out my top fives for each position. Kyle Trask is right there, and I honestly, I... I think it's pretty solid. I don't think he's going to move up to, off that point. For me, I think he's going to move up the board to where we're talking about Kyle Trask as a, can he get into the first round? I I, I would take him in the second round right now. I, I think he has a lot of potential. And working with Dan Mullen for another year at Florida, I think we're going to see a really good Kyle Trask uh, in 2020. It, I mean, he was kind of thrown to this job last year with Felipe Franks being there, and now he's gone. I think this is a, going to be a very good Kyle Trask year, and he's going to be quarterback for, I would say, almost unanimous, unanimously <laughs> across the board. Hey, uh, I have a mock draft coming up Monday. Uh, it's a three-rounder. He's in there, and you don't have to scroll far. I know that. And mine comes out on Sunday. <laughs> Are you still doing that? No, I'm not really. As always. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Whenever Matt promotes a mock draft, just know Mellows will be there first. <laughs> I'm just swooping. I'm going to steal your graphic that you have. Change this right? seven to a six. I mean, the M couldn't take your logo, We we both have double M's. It could definitely work. I hate you so much. Okay, let's take a break. We come back. Uh, We have some college football games to pick, finally. It doesn't feel like it's time for this, but it's time for this. We are a week away from blind reviews on Thursdays. We are a week away from a Heisman watch. I think I don't really know how we're doing that this year with no one playing at the same time. But college football is here, guys. And if you watch Central Arkansas against Austin P last week, well, it was it was here then too. But now it's really here with a couple games that. I feel like you have to watch. You have to sit down and watch these games, and it starts here. SMU led by Shane Bouchelle, a 22.5-point favorite at Texas State, gentlemen. This is not the game to get cute and take the underdog with. I'm taking SMU, and I'm going to take the points on this one, too. You know, I really like SMU in this one as well. And going up against Texas State, uh, I think this is a no-brainer. I think SMU brings back a lot of talent, led by fifth-year senior Shane Bouchelle. And I love watching this guy succeed. Obviously, he left Texas, but he left on good terms. Uh, I want to see him do well, and he lit it up last year. I think he continues to build on that success. I think this is a huge win. I'll take him against the points, too. Without a doubt, a huge spread. You know, obviously, 22.5 to cover, and I'm rolling with it for SMU. I think this is one of those, what I always look at with week one lines, they try to scare you a little bit by making these juicy covers. SMU is easily at least 25 points better than Texas State. Texas State was horrendous last year uh they don't look I don't think they'll be very improved this year 
uh, with SMU, it's all about Bouchelle, right? We talked about Kyle Trask in the last segment. I have eyes on Bouchelle as well to find himself in this conversation. I know he's a smaller guy, but the jumps he's taken at SMU, a lot of starters returning on this offense, they are going to be flying this weekend, and I'm excited to watch. Yeah, Shade Bouchelle is worth the price of admission for this one, so definitely check that out. Middle Tennessee at Army. It's going to feel great seeing the triple option back on the field at as you know, huge Army fans on this program. So Absolutely. I'm taking the Knights in this one. It's at home. You know West Point's going to be rocking. So I'm taking Army. I think this offense is still kind of gimmicky. It's so hard to prepare for. If any of our listeners have ever coached before and you've had to coach against this triple option front, you realize it's so different uh, in the college ranks from anything that you've seen that a lot of these coaches struggle to get ready for it. And I think Middle Tennessee is going to run into the same thing. I think this is going to be a very low scoring affair but I think Army does enough that they cover that three and a half points and get a big win in their first game I actually grew up a little bit more than 30 minutes away from West Point so they are my hometown college football team that's awesome. uh, so I do I do root for Army uh, it's the only college football game I ever went to growing up as a kid if you could ever get out to West Point it is a remarkable place and I look at this Army football team this year Let's not forget, they took Michigan to overtime last year. And then shortly after, they went on a bit of a losing streak, and it kind of spiraled out of control. This is a good football team. It's a well-coached football team. I think their defense is pretty tough. The offense can definitely score enough points against this middle Tennessee defense. I think they cover that three-and-a-half line. Go Army. Yeah, go Army. Uh, So, so sad we are not going to be at the Army-Navy game. It's funny. We should just release the tailgate tour and be like, hey, here's where we were going to be. Because of some games that we won. And also there, we were going to be Army-Navy. Especially the games that have been canceled, like LSU and Texas. Or Texas at LSU. Yeah, we we were going to be there. And Oregon. I thought I was. I would say we had Oregon on the schedule. My push was going to be NDSU at Oregon. Or Oregon at Ohio State. You guys pick. What could have been? Yeah, I'm I'm depressed now. Okay, another game. uh, The Fighting Adam Heisler, South Alabama at Southern Miss. (laughs) Southern Miss is the better team, but I have to roll with my guy. I have to roll with Mobile because you know I love that town. I'm going to take South Alabama in the upset. They are Southern Miss is favored by 13 and a half. Crazier things have happened. I'm also a big Riley Cole fan, the linebacker for South Alabama. Keep an eye on him. He is just the strength, the speed, the that short area ability. He's someone that's definitely on my radar as a draft prospect. Sounds like a country star. Yeah, Riley I, Cole. I was like, Riley Cole, <laughs> is that somebody from I wish Mobile? Grandpa's I don't know. never died. Yeah. Uh, I would love to talk about South Alabama, but I, I, or sorry, I just don't think it's going to happen. I'm going Southern Miss here. I think they can cover the, the points. Uh, probably not going to watch this game and just not, unless I'm really hankering to throw some money down. But I think Southern Miss covers the points here. Just not a lot of talent at South Alabama. No offense. I know we were there one year for the Senior Bowl, and I, I talked some shit on South Alabama, so I'm not going to say anything negative about them. I feel like I've said enough, but I'm taking Southern <laughs> Miss in the points. I, I, I said something like I didn't even – put it together that we were in Mobile and South Alabama was there. I just grabbed a random university and I like saw Heisler in the crowd. So like, it's not like he went to some shitty school like South Alabama oh. and then it hit me like, you dumbass, you're in Mobile, <laughs> oh, Alabama right now. So uh, go Jaguars. 
I think Southern Miss wins this game. Yeah. Oh man, I I do as well. I think they cover. Uh, I'm a degenerate, a board dege- uh, degenerate right now, so I snuck them into a parlay to cover this Southern Miss minus thirteen and a half. I think they got it. So what sucks? We can't bet in Missouri, so I have to like find someone who lives somewhere where it's legal, and this is probably illegal. I don't know if I should admit this and text them. Like I'll be, you'll see me Venmoing our old intern Walker who lives in Vegas, <laughs> Vegas every Saturday yeah. morning, being like, so I want like a hundred on you know. <laughs> and it's like I you have a used problem. to be able to get around it, but now you have to like put in your location and like location an address services or for everything, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So you can't when do it I uh, when I go into work or back in the day when I used to go into work, like it would my FanDuel app would start freaking out. It it would know I cross state lines and yeah. be like, you can't be on the app right now. And I'm like, all right, relax. Like I'm just at work. Can you guys draw? Like, is there a state border? That you can go so, into, or you, you don't even have that. I don't even know, nope. if, like Kansas or Oklahoma. They, so they voted to allow it, but that was pre-Corona. So I don't know where anything is right now. It'll uh, get there. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be the last. Like the last four states oh. that do it will be Kansas, Missouri, Oklahoma, and Arkansas. I feel like, which it, are the ones like, which that is are crazy. Right like, we have you can like throw a rock and hit a casino here, but you can't bet on sports. Yeah, I don't quite understand that we I think it's the, wild times that you can't do it anymore we need the native american tribes to be like hey sports betting they need to come up with an app because like if it, the headquarters of the app is on a reservation or yeah. indian land could we do that i hope so. i don't know yeah i think you could people that, that are smarter than me need to figure law. it out yeah right <laughs> yeah. yeah nicole antonio our uh front runner for listener of the year she's, she's gotta have crushing law school so yeah. maybe she could answer that one. Or a guy, Pat Chamberlain, who is the official representation of I, Stick to Football. I have actually asked him legal questions before. I mean, like, hey, Pat, uh, <laughs> what's going on with this? And it was about a player and, like, how much trouble they were actually going to be in. Uh, but I felt very smart. I didn't understand a lot of the words that DeAndre he Baker? used. But yeah, yeah, I was going to ask was, that. It oh, was yeah. DeAndre yeah. Baker. <laughs> Figured it would be. Uh, last one, Navy at BYU. This game is a push. I'm taking Navy. I just feel like I, this is probably dumb of me. It just feels like the the military schools, the service academies, like the discipline, the structure, like I, I think they're going to be ready to go because yes. they live this shit all the time. So that's my weird logic for this. I'm taking Navy. I'm taking Navy, too. And for a lot of the same reasons, too. But also, I just I want to root for them. Like, I feel like it's almost unpatriotic to root against them. So I'm taking Navy uh, as a fan, but also I think that they can beat BYU. Again, like I said with that Army offense, it's going to be tough to prepare for. Those guys are going to be ready to go in the trenches. Uh, I think it's going to be a very tough week one opponent. I don't care if I'm like Nick Saban in Alabama. I'm not scheduling a service academy for week one. And this is a Monday night football game at 8 o'clock on Monday, so on ESPN. So if you're fixing... Uh, and you can't wait one more week for Monday Night Football. This is a game that is worth watching. Navy is always must-watch TV. BYU obviously puts players in the NFL uh, year after year. And I thought I was kind of a bonehead when I had the same thought process. But <laughs> well, we both I are. <laughs> did, I, I'm picking Navy. I, I do think the discipline matters. I, I really do. And I think their offense will be able to execute against BYU in this one. So, like you said, Matt, it's a push. I'm going with Navy. That's our picks for the week right here. It's It feels good to be picking games again. I didn't even know if we'd get to do this this year. This right. is this is so random of a time to drop this nugget on you guys, but I I keep Twitter open while we do the show just in case news breaks that we need to talk about, and uh, you guys are gonna love this. The Pewter Report is saying that Tyler Johnson's probably gonna get cut. 
no. My old oh. friend Tyler Johnson <laughs> probably getting cut. It, I don't think he's practiced. Second, he has summer. not. He it has took not. me a second to be like, who is Tyler? Oh my god. <laughs> yep. Hmm. You you should dig up all the old tweets of people yeah. talking shit. He's had on a you. soft tissue injury. So he hasn't practiced. So it's not like he's been out there and just hasn't been bad, but or it hasn't, you know, been good. But I'm gonna enjoy Twitter today. I'll tell you that. Uh good news day on this Thursday morning. Let's take a break. We come back. It is AFC North time. It is time to take a look at the AFC North, which you know, it might be the best division in the AFC. It might be the best division in football. We have the Baltimore Ravens guys who won the division last year, the number one seed in the AFC. Then they ran into the Tennessee Titans. This is a team that has struggled in the postseason. And honestly, for a team that's like, you think of Baltimore, it's like tough, cold weather team. They're going to be fine. They've kind of struggled in cold weather the last two years, at least. So is this the year they figure it out and get over that hump? I think they're one of the most talented teams in football. If I, I've told Melo before, if I could have any roster in the NFL, I'm probably taking Baltimore's because the offensive line, in my opinion, is the best in football. I love what they have, even at the skill positions now, the versatility of Mark Andrews at tight end. At wide receiver, you have so much versatility with the speed of Hollywood Brown and Devin Duvernay with the size of a Miles Boykin. Like This is a well-rounded team, and don't even get me started on that defense. I mean, it is good. Chuck Clark's knocking people out on and off the field. Marlon Humphrey's a superstar. Matt Judon's a superstar. And the pride of Jomo, Brandon Williams, locking it down in the middle. So I love this team. They are the team I'm predicting to have the best record in football at 14-2. and two. And my breakout guy is Miles Boykin. I think we see Lamar Jackson continue to improve as a passer. Let's not forget, year one starts like six games, looks electric, but he gets shut down because the LA Chargers at the time throw seven DBs out there and they make him pass. Last year, we saw him take a gigantic step and improve as a passer. I'm betting that he does that again and takes that next step as a quarterback, as a pure thrower. We still know how dynamic he is with his legs. He's a better Michael Vick. I think Miles Boykin is a huge recipient of that improved passing game. And that now you have the running game with J.K. Dobbins joining Mark Ingram to keep safeties on their toes. I think Boykins is a big beneficiary. Yeah, and I agree with everything that you just said there, Matt. I think that with Boykin... He could be that big target that Lamar Jackson probably wants and needs. I, I know that Hollywood Brown is going to be a popular choice. And I, I think that he can be good, but I think breakout player Miles Boykin is going to be very good. The Ravens obviously were great last year. They finished 14 and 2. That's where I have them again this year. And it might be better than that. This this schedule is weak. Uh, they do not play very many tough games. And I think their toughest game of the season against the Kansas City Chiefs, they get it home. And I think that's a win for Baltimore. I think it's going to be very hard for the Chiefs to roll in there and beat these guys. I think they can win that one. I have them getting two losses because I think they probably split uh, with the Steelers in their division. I, I think going into Pittsburgh is probably going to be tough to win twice. Uh, and then maybe the Browns can sneak out a win or maybe the Bengals surprise them late in like week 17 when the Ravens don't have to play any of their starters. <laughs> Maybe the Bengals get a win there, but I think this is going to be just a landslide victory almost every week for the Ravens. As far as breakout players go, they felt confident enough to cut a guy like Earl Thomas. I'm hoping that Deshaun Elliott uh, can step up and take that that spot. He was a star at Texas, and you just kept waiting for the potential uh, to show up on the field. And I think that in year three, maybe we can get that out of Deshaun Elliott. There was a reason why they were comfortable enough to let Earl Thomas go, and I think that guy was Deshaun Elliott. This is obviously one of the best teams in football. 
and deserve all the praise they get. I know there's a lot of people out there that are, you know, being tough on Lamar Jackson in the playoffs and all that nonsense. He's still a very young quarterback. This is an ascending football team. Uh, They've built it the right way. Great offensive line, obviously amazing quarterback, really tough defense, and they're going to be back in back in it again. I mean, they're not going anywhere, right? They are probably the biggest threat to your guys, Kansas City Chiefs, and it will be fun to watch them hopefully uh, meet up this year deep in the postseason. I think they go 13-3. and three. I think it's just the National Football League, it's tough to really consistently win 14 games like that, although it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, I think this is, you know, obviously the second best team in the AFC. The breakout player for me is Chuck Clark. I know he had a really good year last year, his first year as a starter. I think he'll be more of a household name this year, and not just because he got into a fight with Earl Thomas, but because he's a good football player. He really is. A young 25-year-old safety, somebody that makes a lot of plays. Uh, You know, I'm excited to watch J.K. Dobbins get some work alongside Mark Ingram in this offense. Greg Roman is a guy that I think should be on everybody's head coaching circles right now for the end of this year. So enjoy him, Baltimore. you got a phenomenal staff over there. It's going to be a really, really great year for the Ravens. And and they are, for me, uh, I think really my most favorite team to watch play in the entire NFL because of the style of football they play. Yep. It, it is like it's just fun like it's so loose it's so fun and it's crazy uh that John Harbaugh was a like one week away from putting Lamar Jackson in for being fired like oh, one really? more week of yeah. Joe Flacco he would have been fired and he'd probably be coaching the Jets think how different the NFL would be right now it's crazy that that's that quickly and now like the and entire I, Raven staff's gonna get purged I was gonna say I think you could even say like what would have happened with Lamar Jackson if you know he would probably forced to do a different offense than what they have there in place. I, I think it would have been a really different situation for him, too. How the domino effects of the NFL. It's crazy. Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, man, this is a good team. It's just all about how much do you trust that very rested elbow from Ben Roethlisberger now that he's conquered some of his demons and taken some time off. I still like Big Ben. It is, you know, you look around, Eli Manning's gone, Phillip Rivers, I think his arm shot. Big Ben was in that same draft class. Can he continue to get it done? Because they really don't have anything behind him. Uh, Good old Duck Hodges is the guy. Mason Rudolph back there. But I do feel like this offense will be better. I love what they did in the NFL draft, getting Chase Claypool, who, whether he's playing receiver, tight end, wherever you line him up, he is a difference maker with that 4-3-8 speed on a 230-pound body. It's not fair. It's not normal. I'm jealous. My biggest question, guys, is the run game. Can they get it done with James Conner and Booger McFarlane Jr. back there? Or is this going to be what we've seen before, where they become one-dimensional? I don't think that plays in the AFC North. So I have them at 11-5. and My breakout player, a little bit of a cheat, it is Devin Bush, who they traded up to draft at 10 overall in the 2019 draft class. I'm a huge believer of his. And when you have players like TJ Watt and Cameron Hayward around you, it should make his job a little bit easier to shine, not to mention what they have on the back end with Minka Fitzpatrick, Joe Hayden, Steven Nelson. This is one of the best defenses in the game. And I think as long as you can check this box of, is Mike Tomlin still the head coach in Pittsburgh? Is that a yes? They're going to be good. I think even last year you can look at what Pittsburgh did with absolutely nothing at quarterback. Getting Ben Roethlisberger, if he is just even a little bit of himself, I think this is going to be a very good football team who probably finds a way into the playoffs despite the Ravens running through the the division and, and most of the AFC. 
I have the Steelers going 10 and 6. I really do think that Ben Roethlisberger comes back. He can do enough with this offense. I think a breakout player for it is going to be my guy, Deontay Johnson. I absolutely loved him coming out of Toledo. I think Ben Roethlisberger takes one look at him and says, this is my new wide receiver one. And that's not a slight to Juju Smith-Schuster. I really like him. I think that he kind of falls back into that role of wide receiver two and probably still makes a Pro Bowl. Very good receiver. But I do think Deontay Johnson, his speed, what he can do downfield is something that Ben Roethlisberger is going to fall in love with. I think he's going to target him very, very often this year as the Steelers roll to that 10-6 and finish. And I'm with you there. Big Ben is somebody that loves to push the ball down the field, and Deontay Johnson just fits that mold perfectly. This is a really, really good team, and they are not going to make it easy for Baltimore this year, especially if Big Ben can come back healthy, can stay healthy. This defense is remarkable. I mean, Minka Fitzpatrick, uh, Cam Hayward, TJ Watt, they, they have talent at corner. They have talent across the defensive line. They are so loaded, this team on defense. I mean, it's going to be really fun to watch the Pittsburgh Steelers this year if Big Ben can stay healthy because I I think they are going to be right in the thick of it in in one of, if not the toughest division in in the AFC. I think they're going to be 11-5, and make the playoffs, make it tough for a lot of people. The breakout player for me is Chase Claypool. I think he's going to have a role in the red zone this year. I know he had a really, really strong camp. This is a team that uses three wide receivers, so Juju, Deontay Johnson, and Chase Claypool, they can be on the field together. Uh, The backfield is a little weak right now, so I do think they throw the ball a lot, even with an older quarterback like Big Ben. And when this Pittsburgh Steelers uh, team gets back to its roots of airing it out and playing strong defense, they're capable of anything. They are a dark horse to win the Super Bowl this year. They absolutely are. I love that. All right, the Cleveland Browns, a polarizing team. One year ago, we were talking about, oh, my God, the Browns are finally good. They're going to break out, and they didn't. And so I think we even look at this year, like, can it happen? Kevin Stefanski comes in as head coach. I love his offense and what he could do. This is the old Bill Walsh, Mike Shanahan, Gary Kubiak, West Coast zone run scheme that should work really well with Nick Chubb. Even with Kareem Hunt, they also add Austin Hooper. They add Jack Conklin. They draft Jedrick Wills. There's a lot of new pieces here that, in theory, should help Baker Mayfield. Guys, uh, this is not me taking a shot at Baker. I'm still worried about the interceptions. I'm still worried about how often the ball is being turned over, how long he's holding the ball in the pocket. Baker's got to clean up and speed up his processes It seems like he's been locked in this offseason. We have not heard from him or about him. That could be a good thing. I still have the Browns going 7-9. and My breakout player, due to injury with Mac Wilson being out and also with Joe Schobert now in Jacksonville, Jacob Phillips, a superb athlete coming out of LSU. Uh, Day three pick, I believe, though. He's going to have to step up and fill a pretty big void. Yeah, I I think so, too. And I have their record about the same as you. Uh, I do like this football team. I like the way that it's built. I love the tight ends that they have. Obviously, the receivers are pretty damn good, but this division's tough, and that's why I have the Browns finishing with an 8-8 eight and eight record. And I think this is a good football team, but it's just too much. Uh, I'm glad that I'm not the guy that has to hate on Baker Mayfield once again. I feel like most of Cleveland or most of the state of Ohio feels like I hate them right now. I don't. I, I do like this Browns team. I like the way it's put together. And I think with this two tight end set that they're going to be in a lot, I think Harrison Bryant, the rookie out of FAU, this is a guy that I really loved who can catch the ball, who can stretch the field. 
I think Baker Mayfield's going to go to him. I, I think a lot of people are expecting a lot of targets on the outside to those receivers, but I think we're going to see Baker target these these tight ends. And uh, I don't know if David Njoku is going to be healthy enough to get the ball. I don't know if he's going to stay on the field. Austin Hooper learning a new offense, trying to fit into what his role is. I think Harrison Bryant has been very good early on in camp and can be quite the surprise as a tight end, even though he is a rookie. Yeah, I mean, I look at the Browns here and, you know, it's hard to fall into the trap again, right? But, you know, I didn't think they would win the division last year, but I thought they would be a little bit more competitive. And I think they're going to be competitive this year. I have them at nine and seven. Um, I, and the big reason for me, guys, is not so much Baker Mayfield, but two reasons that are outside of Baker Mayfield. One, I think this team will be able to run the football that it'll mask some of the issues that have been quite evident in early in Baker Mayfield's career uh, with a really, really strong backfield, a, a strong offensive line. I do think they'll get the run game going. Kevin Stefanski got to work under Gary Kubiak. They'll have this offense in the right direction, being a run-heavy team, kind of what we saw a little bit with Green Bay uh, transform into last year. But the other big reason... I think they could have the most dominant player in football with a full season of Miles Garrett. I, I think he could take over games. I, I can't emphasize enough how big uh, his loss was last year when he was suspended for the rest of the season. That's what matters to me here. My breakout player is the guy next to him in Larry Ogunjobi, who is set to be a free agent after this year. I just think he'll be the matchup king with all the talent on this defensive line. He'll be the guy that sees a lot of weak one-on-ones and can get a lot of those cleanup sacks of Miles Garrett disrupting the pocket. So 9-7 and seven for the Browns. You know, I think this is a team that was hoping to be in the conversation for 11 or 12 wins by now, uh, but I think they're moving slowly in the right direction, which I know Browns fans are tired of hearing that you want the full thing, but you got a new coaching staff in a pandemic year and still a pretty young roster. So one step at a time, the thing with the Browns, it wouldn't surprise me if they somehow won this division. It also wouldn't surprise me if they somehow lost this division. Bottomed out. Yeah, the Bengals are gonna are not going to be a pushover. Right, and that's who we're going to talk about next. The Cincinnati Bengals, they finished last in the NFL last year, which I think was a surprise, and earned that number one pick, which allowed them to draft the quarterback who had the greatest season I've ever seen in college football, Joe Burrow. Now, a pandemic happens. How ready will Burrow be? They're putting a lot of eggs in the basket of not just Joe Burrow, but also left tackle Jonah Williams coming back from a season-ending rookie injury Left tackle, quarterback, never played together. They've never played in the NFL. That That's going to be tough in a very, very good division. I'm still like not all the way in on Zach Taylor. I don't completely understand why he got that job other than like he and Sean McVay had a couple of beers together once. But he's there. Hopefully they can open things up. I love what they have at wide receiver. Huge Joe Mixon fan. Uh, the defense is is what it is. I don't love the corners. But this still feels like a team that's a couple years away, even though gigantic Joey B fan. Hope he balls out. I have them at 4-12. and 12. My breakout player, Sam Hubbard, he's moved into a starting role at defensive end. I think we saw flashes in his rookie year. So Hubbard is somebody I think really breaks out this year. And I hope so, because I really liked him in Ohio State as well. I'm about there. Uh, I'm 5-11 and 11 is where I have them going. I do think that Joe Burrow is going to be very ready uh, for the NFL even though he's a rookie and the weird offseason that we have, I think that he can come in and be successful. I think if this were a normal offseason, uh, we would be looking at Joe Burrow and the targets that he has with Joe Mixon and Jonah Williams coming back. And this would be a very exciting offense. But sadly, going through the pandemic, I do think is going to really hurt this team. I have them going 5-11. and 11. My breakout player is going to come on defense. I'm going to cheat a little bit 
I'm taking Jesse Bates. Uh, I think that he has been quietly a very good safety over the last two years, but he's been on some losing teams, and I think he hasn't got the attention that he deserves. Maybe with a little more eyes on Cincinnati and Joe Burrow, they start to realize there's a pretty good safety there in Cincinnati as well. This is going to be a competitive team, right? Now, just because we have them, Matt 4-12, and Mello 5-11, and I'm 4-12 and as well. They are not going to roll over. They're not going to be a team where you go, oh, the Bengals. I think there's going to be a lot of close losses for this team, and I think a lot of that is because of the addition of Joe Burrow. Um, they did get better in a lot of other areas. My breakout guy is actually Auden Tate, somebody that does not get enough love after they drafted T. Higgins. I mean, Tate had almost 600 yards from whatever they were doing at quarterback last year, and I think Tate still has a role in this offense. You know, and A.J. Green is a guy that just simply cannot stay healthy anymore. So the addition of Joe Burrow is big. They're moving in the right direction. They're going to be a competitive roster but like Mello indicated, this was not the year to be in a full transition period. And for teams like the Bengals that are in a full transition period, it's going to be tough at times to compete with a team with a foundation like Baltimore, a team with a foundation like the Steelers. Even the Browns have had this foundation in place for a couple years now just with the new coaching staff, an improved coaching staff. So it's tough for the Bengals. They are going to catch up eventually as long as... You know, they get the proper funds. They can be players in free agency, which they did make additions this year. Joe Burrow is a guy that is going to turn things around for the future. It's just not right now. That's how, yeah. I mean, it's exciting to see where they're going. They've had drafts that we all really like. It's just getting it all together. Y'all let us know who do you like, who do you not like in the AFC North. You can tweet us at Stick to Football. Find us on Instagram at Stick to Football. And don't forget those Apple podcast reviews. Always appreciated. All right, guys, that is our show today as we attempt to save my voice. And also, uh, happy Labor Day weekend. Everyone be safe, socially distanced like you're supposed to. Wash your hands, but please do have fun. We will be back with you guys Tuesday afternoon. We'll be recording Tuesday morning instead because of the holiday. So don't mess us too much. Enjoy your weekend of college football. And for Mello and Connor, Smat, we'll talk to you guys real soon.